This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. Today, we have a very special episode for you. I am your host, Jethro Jones. We'll be talking about the Inch360 conference that took place in Spokane, Washington. This conference is a must-attend event for cybersecurity folks here in Spokane, Washington. And it was a great opportunity for me to connect with cybersecurity folks here in Spokane and learn about a lot of things that are going on in the world of cybersecurity right now. This episode is one of the sessions from the conference. I hope you enjoy it. This session is titled Cloud Security, Exploring the Latest Trends and Challenges in Cloud Security and Systems Architecture. Uh, my name is Brant. I am the regional CIO for MultiCare Health System. Uh, I oversee IT activities here in the inland northwest region, largely Spokane, Spokane Valley, Deaconess Hospital, Valley Hospital, and more recently Yakima Memorial Hospital in the center of the state. Although I'm not focused exclusively on InfoSec anymore, I did spend the first part of my career uh, leading the charge against the bad guys uh, for a healthcare payer company, the tech sector, and a little bit in the grocery industry. So um, I'm gonna jump right in, and all I'm gonna do is shout out names, and I would like to ask our panelists to just give a quick introduction of why you're here and the great knowledge and experience you're gonna bring. So I'll kick it over to my friend Brent right here. Just let everybody know, my name is Brent, not Brant, though we do sing. <laughs> Hi, Brent Clements, uh, VP of Product Engineering for Vega Cloud a real local cloud phenomenon management platform uh, company. Uh, so very happy to be here at the second annual cybersecurity conference. It's awesome to see the local community grow, uh, not only from a cybersecurity perspective, but also general tech as well. Uh, my background in security, I started in security years ago. I used to be a white hat hacker. Um, I transformed that into application modernization consulting where obviously there had to be a bunch of security consulting as part of that. Um, and then today uh, we build in um, security and everything we do because we do deal with a lot of financial data from enterprise customers. So nice to meet everybody. Awesome. Thank you, Brent, for joining us. Vinesh. Uh, hello, folks. Good afternoon. Again, nice to be here and to get involved with the local community. 
Uh, I'm Vinesh. I'm a cybersecurity engineer at Google. Uh, and my role is normally incident response. My colleagues will say, usually when I'm around, it's like, oh, oh what's wrong? <laughs> Today, it's not one of that, at least up till now. Uh, and I'm also an engineer in our DDoS protection teams and our malware research teams. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. My new friend, Nick. Hi. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hi, Nick Maritzi. Um, I'm about 30 years in building high-tech businesses, the last 10 in cloud security. Um, if we know about the words like CASB and SSE and SASE and ZTNA, these kinds of words, these are all words that have been created in the last 10 years to solve problems we had no idea about 10 years ago. So I'll share a little bit more on that in a bit. Awesome. And rounding out our panel, we have Deb. Hi, good afternoon. Deb Wells from BECU. And I am a senior manager there for cybersecurity engineering. Before that, I was a full-time professor at Central Washington University. And before that, I know I'm really old, I was uh, 21 years in the United States Air Force. So thank you, Heather, for the tribute to our fallen comrades during World War II and December 7th. And anyway, great to be here. Thanks. Awesome. You guys, you want to sit down? Do you want to scoot the chairs back? We'll turn it into a little circle. Um, so the clouds been around for a while. We have it figured out, right? Yeah, right? Exactly. You guys don't have struggles with cloud security, right? Um, so in preparation, admittedly, I've been out of the game a little while. I thought, let's see what's going on in cloud. So I looked up the IBM data breach report. What's going on with cloud? 82% of breaches include data stored in the cloud. Misconfigured cloud is the third most common attack vector behind phishing and compromised credentials. And having migrated to the cloud is the fourth biggest impact to additional cost associated with a breach. So cloud still matters, and we haven't figured it out yet. So we're gonna ask some questions today to see what we can do to get a little bit better. So I'm gonna start with Nick. Cloud's not new. What has changed in the last five to 10 years that we're still talking about it as an InfoSec thing? Well, actually, I, I actually might say the cloud is kind of new. Um, so AWS launched in about 2010. Uh, Google and Azure followed pretty closely after that. Um, the internet came really in, in form in dot-com window, right? 1993, we started to really see it. So. Calling, call it 30 years of the internet, call it 15 years-ish of cloud. Um, and about maybe six months ago, I sat in front of a guy named Ashim Shadna. Ashim is a legendary investor. Uh, he was an original Bell Labs guy. So he's a networking guy by, by upbringing. And Ashim put three, put one slide on the, on the wall and it had three circles. Those circles were cloud, network, and security. And he said even today, those cloud, that, those three circles haven't created a Venn diagram. He said we're still really early. So the first thing that I'm gonna tell you is that although we feel like we've been doing this a long time, we're still really early in this. Um, only maybe 15 years. Um, and so I'll kind of tell a little story about the still early. Eight years ago, I joined a company called Sky High. It was a CASB vendor. How many people in the room are familiar with CASB? OK, 
Okay, actually, maybe I saw maybe 20%. I see a sales opportunity, Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, definitely there's a sales opportunity, um, but it's more like we're still educating. If only 20% of this room knows what CASB is, CASB came around in, call it 2012, 2013. Um, and CASB is essentially a service that secures software as a service, like Salesforce or Workday or Dropbox, these kinds of services, internet-bound traffic. Um, that company got bought by McAfee. And you'd say, why did McAfee buy a company like that? And McAfee owned the legacy Secure Web Gateway. How many people are familiar with the Secure Web Gateway in the room? About the same number. So a Secure Web Gateway is the inline controls to inspect traffic, whether that traffic is inbound or outbound or to the internet or private. We want to inspect it for bits and bytes, ransomware, malware, data loss. When you combine an inbound, uh, uh, an inline control like a secure web gateway with a CASB control for the internet, you actually start to see what they call SSE, Secure Service Edge. Has anybody heard of that term, S Secure Service Edge? So these, this happened eight years ago. They started cobbling this stuff together. Um, and so what I just want to impose on you is we're still early. The second thing that's, I think, very different is we actually, I would say today, we know what we're doing. Um, the road the last eight years for me as a sales slash technical guy that had to sell it and then technically deliver it is I'm bloody and I'm bruised and I'm bumped. Um, my customers are bloody and bruised and bumped. Um, those who adopted early day technologies to solve cloud security challenges, they got it done. I would say that today they say they did a good job, but the process of getting there was messy. It's because they didn't know what they were doing. They were guessing. And all the vendors, all the manufacturers of security products didn't know what they were doing, so they were guessing. And so... You're saying you lied to me, Nick. Yeah, I did lie to you, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just so you know, we, we bought some products from Nick when I was working at a former employer, and we implemented that stuff, and it was cool, but I think it's kind of And fun. it works. It works. So <laughs> it, it does work. It, it does just, work. It just took a lot of work to get it to work then. And so what I'll say today, so if you compare then to now, which I think was the question, it works today. The services are purpose-built. So the legacy vendors, even though they look like they're new vendors because you never heard of them, who were built before cloud, those types of vendors, they were guessing. Their services are clunky. It works. It gets the job done, but it's clunky. All the, the what I call cloud-born services that have come kind of 2017, 2018, 2019, these services are purpose-built because we knew what the problems were at that point, and we purpose-built them for the problems. So the good news is only 20% of the people in the room raised their hand. Those 80% who haven't done it, you've got a really good chance of not getting bumped and bruised and bloody in the process because it works now, and you can do this really well. The services get the job done. Um, and then the last thing that I would say has shifted massively, like, like complete different world today, is that we used to solve problems in cybersecurity, meaning a problem was identified, we'd go buy some technology, we'd go fix the problem, we'd now manage that new service and manage it alongside the 10 other, the 20 other, the 50 other services that I, we manage. And now what's happening is we're actually not doing that anymore. Customers, my customers are not doing break, fix, find a problem, fix a problem. They're actually doing, everything they're doing is all about business value. User experience, 
and, <clears throat> and improving security. So you have, to, you have to actually improve the business while you deploy new cybersecurity products. And if you do that, the cybersecurity products actually really deliver for the company. And so business value is driving the security conversation. User experience, meaning improving the user experience. I don't have to log on to three different VPNs. Um, I'm not boomeranging my traffic to hit a firewall that's you know, halfway across the country. It's hitting the internet firewall that's close to me, so my, my user experience goes up. And then lastly, lastly, in that process, because I'm closer to the user, I can actually deliver more online-ready security controls. I don't have to wait to get it. It doesn't, my user experience doesn't go down. So those are three big things that have changed, I'd say, in the last 10 years. Awesome. I saw Deb make uh, uh, an expression during, is there something you wanted to pile on? To no, I just was in awe. I think okay. that was beautiful because it is clunky. It was clunky. And, you know, there's still a lot to be said for the education piece of it when it comes to the cloud and how do I protect the cloud. And the cloud's kind of scary to me. It's not like a hardware that I'm right in there looking at. That's the way I always look at it from, from my vantage point, and especially from a, my uh, professor, I guess, vantage point is, you know, don't be scared of it. You have to embrace it. You have to understand the foundations of cybersecurity and how to protect might not be the same as we had before with belt suspenders and all these other things, but you still need to have the foundation. So I was all there. I was all in your you know space, Nick. So. Awesome. Um, so one thing we should talk about, which happened uh, over the last couple of years, I'm going to tee this up for Brent first. Um, more people work from home than they used to. A lot more people. What are you seeing in terms of shifts either in architecture, approach, use, either good or bad, with this massive shift of people out of the office and connecting from home, Starbucks, the vacation house in Boca Raton, whatever it might be? So uh, my view is that remote work has been around for years, tens of years, 20s of years. Tens. Tens of years, 20s of years. Uh, back in when I was growing up, um, it was Unix terminals, right? Um, so you had a remote, uh, huge Unix server. You'd have a terminal in a, in, a, uh, in a cafe or a university uh, office or what have you, and you still had the same problems you have today as you had back then, right? And so I think some of the trends we're seeing is, um, again, the move to the cloud. And the cloud, the various CSPs like AWS, Azure, GCP, they've built in controls in some of their remote desktop uh, technology to enable us to put those controls in place, that security in place. Um, I think also it, it comes down to policy, right? Um, I'm a huge governance uh, proponent, so um, my background is also in, in governance and policy. And one of my biggest things is, again, uh, with any new technology or any technology that affects both on-site employees as well as remote employees, uh, ensuring that your policies are in place, there's education, um, those sorts of things. Yeah, I love that. I don't know if we'll have time to dig into it, but um, kind of going back to what Deb said and what you just said, removing the barriers for people to do stuff right and making it way harder for people to do stuff wrong yes. is a huge win, right? Um, and sometimes it feels draconian when you sort of limit how people can interact, but from a security perspective, um, a huge win. It, it, it really comes down to, as a security professional, you know, I've struggled with this, uh, CISOs, uh, CISOs struggle with this, security professionals struggle with this, which is, again, putting in those, like you said, those, those controls, but still enabling your, your employees to work effectively. And that's, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard balance sometimes. 
I think it always is. Does anybody here have iHeart Governance bumper stickers? Because I feel like those need to be handed out. Yes, um, yes. To every person everywhere, because governance, governance sinks you, right? You can have the best <laughs> tools in the world, but if you're not doing the right things with them, it doesn't work. Um, let's talk about bad stuff happening. Vinesh, <clears throat> I think you might have some insight into where people might be making some mistakes in how they are either setting up or using their cloud services. Okay, boy, where do I start? So, How long do you have, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I, when I look back, uh, and I do a fair bit of auditing uh, with our customers and others as well, sometimes I try to find patterns just to wrangle them into like some simple, meaningful ways I can wrap my head around all this happening. Most often the case, it's basics, as, as Deb said. Uh, Credential leaks, and one one example, one story, or which has played or played itself many times, is a developer. He or she, for all the good reasons, a service is starting up, just dumps all the config to make sure it's the service is connecting to prod, not test. And in there, there's a credential, there's a database URL. It goes into a log file. That log file ends up in repeat places. that because there are a lot of people here who need to hear. So, Don't dump your config file with the prod connection. Craig, we're not supposed to do that. <laughs> so, but but it's it's some of those basic I call the hygiene. Mm -hmm. And um, if if you heard some of the the things that Nick said, it was reinforced as well. Is we've got ourselves into this masterful world of looking at disease. Like, you know, we are fighting disease, we are finding cures for disease, and then we become a master of sickness. And there is this entire world, a few good professors had to, you know, drill that into me, that you need to think of turning into, like, uh, an aspect of digital well-being. Like, what is healthy? What is good hygiene? As opposed to just focusing on the, the, the things that are going wrong. So it's credential leaks. It is misconfiguration. It is lack of separation of controls. These basics, I would say, if you just eliminate that class of issues in itself would just get rid of so many other uh, things. So you're saying it's basic security hygiene. Yeah. yeah. I actually want to give everybody else the opportunity to answer this question, because I think the best way to learn is when you screw something up. And if anybody's had exposure to somebody else who screwed something up and can share those stories with us, I would love to hear more. So. Deb, do you have anything you want to add? Maybe even a specific instance, but we won't name names or companies. Yeah, well, no, I don't have any of those because I use such great, you know, CASB products, and I use. We have such great governance. No, we're always we're always striving to get better, and that's the biggest thing, right? You always strive to get better, and you always try to, you know, don't repeat history, although it sometimes repeats itself, as you all know. But um, always, I guess, um, I don't have any real examples about that, except, you know, once again, learn from what's been going on and in the news. So you want to, you don't, because you don't want to repeat that, or you want to say, hey, maybe we should check that. And I think the thing that resonated with me was the governance piece of it, because you talk about governance is so important. And it's one of those, it's not as can I use the word sexy sometimes? You're like, it's pretty boring. It's not very sexy, right? It is the right? antithesis be, of sexy. I, it doesn't have flashing lights or a shiny front like a server that you might stick in your yes, data center. Or, 
in something like that, but it is so important. And so if you can just kind of start getting your heels into the governance piece of it, that and when it comes to the BYOD, I think that one resonates with me when it comes to cloud and comes to work and remote work and, and things like that, is just have some guardrails around it because by golly, people are going to test you. You'll even probably have people in your own, org in your own um, team or something that's testing you, but have those guardrails. And, uh, and, and use the good cyber hygiene and digital wisdom when, when doing things. So. Awesome. Nick, anything to add? Well, I mean, it, it's so teed up for me. I, I, I got I to bite on it. Um, I, I tried the softball I actually, lob. Yeah, yeah, this is a, this is a softball. Um, this is actually the hack of the decade. So the hack of the decade, and this is my quotes, so you probably won't find it in the internet. But I say the hack of the decade is the third-party contractor, VPN access onto a flat network that hasn't been micro-segmented. Their purpose is to get to this application, and the next thing you know, they're everywhere on that flat network. And we call a VPN a security service, but really all that a VPN is is, is a network access control solution. It doesn't deliver any security, and we have to change that. I believe that it's my job to actually to make the VPN go away when we're talking about security. We don't want to let people on the network anymore. The network is a risky place, right? That's where the crown jewels sit. Keep them off the network. All traffic should be outbound. No traffic should be inbound. If you're having inbound traffic and you haven't segmented your network, you're done. You will be hacked. You will be ransomware. Your data will be gone. Target, you name them, go read it. VPN hack, Target, that was a third party contractor on a flat network. And, and so all I say is that you get your VPN for free attached to an ELA from a major vendor. All of you in this room get it for free. And that's why we continue to use it, 100%. Free service attached to an ELA, and we say it's a security product, and it's not. That's probably what I have to say to that. That's awesome. Brent, you want to add anything? So I don't know if you've heard a common word here. It's people. Uh, people are the biggest problem when it comes to security. Um, my example of this, I actually worked for Capital One uh, during the um, AWS breach. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it essentially was a um, staff member of, of AWS had access to our creds at Capital One, and they were able to modify S3 and get some uh, essentially admin level privs to all of our environments. So, um, you know, that could have been prevented by uh, adding a couple different controls. So, again, I go back to my original statement, which is people. And I said something a little bit earlier as well. It comes down to a couple things. First of all, is basic security comes down to a good background check, so that may not catch everything, there's anger of people, you know, people get disgruntled, right? But it also comes down to education. One of our biggest things at Vega is on a monthly and a quarterly basis, we are continuously educating, right? We're doing, we're running scenarios almost monthly with people, fishing exercises, those sort of things, to get people to do those behavioral change things that will force people to understand, hey, I'm not doing the right thing, right? So to me, the biggest, uh, the biggest challenge with any type of breach is when it comes down to people, because technology will always be there, and we can put the best technology out there, but humans are always going to be the problem. I agree, humans are the problem. Humans are the problem. 
Anybody else? Show of hands. People are the problem. Oh, come on. That's why we're getting AI. That's yeah. why we're getting chat but bots. That's why we want people. Be best, people. Right? So, okay. I'll tell. I'll take a little moment to be a speaker for a second, and not the panelist. Um, in my career doing some infosec work, I've had people look at me with a very honest, straightforward face and say, "Our employees make great decisions." And I said, I work in healthcare now. Let me prove to you that people make horrible decisions. Go spend some time in an emergency department and see what sorts of things people put in their body. <laughs> right? Really bad decision makers, OK? So um, yeah, and this goes back to what we talked about. Make it super easy to make the right decision and make it really hard to make the wrong decision. Because people will always make the wrong decision. and. A lot of times it ends up bad. I want to give the audience a chance to ask some very specific questions. So I'm going to pause and see if any brave soul wants to raise their hand. Okay, I'm going to repeat the question. I'm going to do my best. You give me a thumbs up if I got it. In a post-quantum computing world with, um, we'll say, the injection of AI, what are the repeatable, consistent, and we'll say effective things we can do to continue to successfully protect the cloud. Did I get it? You want me to take a stab? Go, I mean, yes. I, I don't uh, think yeah, I yes. can come in here and talk too much about, you know, qubits and, you know, what is quantum decryption is, I think, the term of the day. But once again, with the new technologies that are coming out, the biggest thing that I feel is to learn it, you know, as best you can and learn the what the bad actors or the nefarious individuals are going to use it for, whether it be AI. I, I did a speech before on yin and yang of chat GPT and deep fakes. It's you have to get better than them and you have to be on top of it because if you just rest your laurels on the old days of cybersecurity, defense in depth, you know, getting and using VPNs to get into the network, you're going to be behind the curve. You've got to get up front. You've got to say, okay, so they're going to use AI or they're going to use some sort of quantum computing to get in. I hope and pray that our vendors are putting that into their tools. I know that for us, we are putting a lot into AI governance because of, you know, world the, the whole technology. But it's one of those things you have to be able to counter it with itself almost. Does that, I mean, I don't know, that's kind of my stab at that question and maybe my illustrious counterparts. Anybody else want to add? I see Brent picking up his mic. He's ready to go. Yeah, so as my, uh, my daddy used to say, what's old is new again. So quantum computing, uh, I was in high performance computing for a while, and you know, AI has been around for a while. Um, I was doing neural networks at Rice University 20 years ago, right? And which, if you don't know, neural networks is using the AI to map similar to the very brain, right? So AI has been around. So I think it's, it's a lot of the same things you're doing today. Like you said, get ahead of it, right? It's, it's always going to be that, that battle, that yin and yang with you know, adversaries, right? Um, and I keep going back to, uh, and I want to hone in what you, you asked about, which is how do you, how do you um, resolve the fear that your users, that people might have, right? It comes again down to education, right? doing now teaching what AI, it comes down to teaching what, teaching what AI is, right? Teaching or telling them and teaching them what they can and can't do. As an example, right? Generative AI today, your chat GPTs of the world, right? That's gonna lead to a lot of data leakage. It's gonna lead to a lot of IP leakage. Um, 
if you're in a vendor, a software vendor, you have developers that want to go out and try the newest cool tool that can help me do my job, right? You want to, again, add those controls, add that governance, add that education, teach them, but also enable them, right? Mm -hmm. Give them opportunities. So um, doing things like, uh, as part of your security program, evaluating partners that have AI technology, and in your contract, make sure that they have those same controls in place that you expect, right? Set a high standard for your vendors and your partners. Lawyers can be your best friends. Yes, yes. And, uh, and yeah, lawyers are your best friends. Yeah, uh, I, I have a, a very good friend I should actually introduce you to. His name's Brad Frazier. He works out of Boise, Idaho. And he said something that resonated with me forever. It's all academic until you get sued. Yes. And it's 100% right. And the reality is it doesn't matter how nice your vendor is or what kind of bunch, lunch they bought you or whatever. Like, when things go south, the only thing that matters is in the contract. Well, guess what? Like, this is all new, I think, to some of our points, this concept of AI and who has to do what to protect things. Um, yep. Lawyers will be your friend. Vinesh, did you want to add anything to this? How, how, do, we, how do we fight the good fight? I'm just going to restate what the others said and look cool. Uh, you know? That's the great way to go last and wrap <laughs> try, it up. Try to look cool. Uh, like you heard the terms like you know education, get better at it. And one of the ways I usually articulate this when I'm speaking with others is just get good at software. And the way to think about it is like we've conducted so many studies now. Like before the this panel gets done, if you have a vulnerable asset in the internet, it's compromised. All it takes is that, that much time for someone to find it and exploit it. But the scary part is not even that. It is once something is found, all it takes is 45 seconds for an adversary to make it productive. And then I turn around and ask the question, I'm going to ask you to make a release of software, not your prod, just your dev environment. Can you beat that 45 seconds? Usually the answer is no. no. And if our adversaries are that good at exploiting software, exploiting software like, we should be better than them if you have to keep up at the game, right? So it's no matter what technology is always going to move, it's going to keep evolving. We just have to be an expert at it as good as the adversaries are. Do you want to add anything, Nick? Or I'll, I'll wrap it up. So what I heard, and I'll summarize how my simple brain processes it, it's still all the same fundamental problems. The tools are slightly different. What I think we have to get better at, and I think I had conversations with both you and you about this, we got to get faster, right? We can't take nine months or 12 months to figure it out. We got to figure it out in three. And that's where probably getting the right kind of support from your leadership to invest and understand, to be educated enough that they know, yeah, this is the right way to go and by design, not treat symptoms, but address the fundamental problems, which are probably like architecture and governance and people um, to get where we need to go. Can I add one thing? Yeah, go for it. So any security professional in here, um, actually the one thing that has benefited me in my career, in my life, and in winning the security argument from a top-down perspective, learn to present, learn to have an elevator pitch, which means to explain what your problem is, what the value of doing something is, because we all know that security becomes an afterthought. Yeah. So get good at being a politician so that you can sell your ideas, sell your, uh, sell your needs, so you can secure uh, your company and your data and your people. Great advice. Do we have any other folks? Yeah, go for it. Setting up a by design secure architecture, technologically speaking, for their organization 
and where can they go to get the right resources to educate themselves so that they understand why that's important. Did I get it? At the right value for them. Value is an important word. You want to take it? I'll take it. Um, so that's an awesome question. Um, so I used to actually do small business consulting well, so this is near near my heart. Uh, the first is look at your vendors. Um, all the cloud vendors provide secure architectures that you can replicate. They even provide you as an example in, in AWS, Azure, and GCP, literally click button abilities to deploy these secure architectures, secure infrastructures with all the various things in place. Is that, is that the, the final step? No, right? Um, there's also many open source products. I don't want to negate any of the vendors here, but there's num ton, tons of open source products out there, solutions. The government provides a, a ton of things from uh, CISA, the NSA, those sort of things that provide you all the various policies. Um, and also, you know, as, you're, as you're building your organization, you can look at bringing in consultants such as um, uh, part-time CISOs and those sorts of folks that can actually help you build your security posture uh, going forward. So that, that's my thoughts. Yeah, I, what I would say is outsource it. Number one to that, because that person needs to focus on his core business or her core business, the selling, the building, the three other things you mentioned there. Um, and the difference today versus 10 years ago is there's a ton of those types of providers. So you can actually almost buy MSSP services the same way that maybe you might buy uh, a Jersey Mike's. Am I going to get a Jersey Mike's or am I going to get a Subway or am I going to get a Togo's, right? That's kind of where we are now. The MSSP market is evolved and it's, and it's here to support the SMB because the SMB doesn't care about cybersecurity. They care about making their business perform. That's what I would say to that. Did you want to add something, Deb? No, I think that you know the government does have the NIST, the IS, the ISO. There's a lot that's out there. You don't have to recreate the wheel. Just you know, and you might you know try cybersecurity as a service. I mean, everything is as, as a service these days that you can use. That's the same as all you said with the you know get some consultants to to help you. You're not alone though. That's the biggest thing. And you know, I would you know learn from other people's mistakes. You probably already know that about me, that, you know, try to read what's out there and say, mm, I don't want to do that. But, yeah. And I see a hundred plus people in this room who might be able to help answer a question or point you to someone who could. So a challenge to everybody during the break is go introduce, introduce yourself to someone you don't know and at least explain who you are and what you do and how you might be able to help each other. Any other questions? This is going to be our last question. So I'm going to summarize. From a research and development standpoint, how do we shift from being reactive to proactive? Vinesh, uh, you go first. We made eye contact. <laughs> uh, let me start. And, and uh, it's actually a deep and a profound question, because part of it has to do, deal with unlearning what we've been doing always. And the reason I say that is one of the, the ways to tackle that switch from being reactive to the master of disease to one of health would be first, how do you know you're doing a good job? We should be able to answer that question. And in cybersecurity, often the, que the answer is, if nothing happens, now how do you measure nothing happens? So you see cybersecurity is that field where there are these paradoxes, right? And, and it's, the paradoxes are real because cybersecurity is a very hard problem in technical words. Some people call it the NP hard problem. And 
those problems pose themselves with a certain set of characteristics. Some characteristics are, I don't know what a good solution is, but if you give me a good solution, I can immediately tell you if it's good or bad. And that's reinforcing that behavior of being reactive. So one way is to understand what we call the leading indicators or defining something that's going to give you that early warning sign and then track yourself on those measures in addition to all the other things that we have normally to do. So that's partly education, partly enablement, and this, this shift from what, how we've been doing things all along, that's like one. The, the other one is I would say, we have to get to a grips with the, the world of convergence which is happening. What do I mean by that? Uh, like traditionally cybersecurity is you defend your network, you define a perimeter, you establish something safe zone, and you touch something, you bless it, you go through your checklist, it's all checked and then you don't touch it. Because when you touch it, it means change. And change means risk, right? That's, that's been philosophically a way of how we've approached the problem that has to change uh, to get to this uh, state. And for example, uh, I told you how the bad actors are able to like exploit software. Why, you know, software has very two char important characteristics. Low cost to change, meaning I can make a change very easily and low cost to distribute. I can get it at the speed of electrons, basically, wherever I want. But it's very expensive to operate and maintain. Historically, we've been optimizing ourselves for the weakness of software, for the, for the, uh, because it's very hard to operate and maintain. And we squander away the benefits of software. The adversaries are exploiting software with using the benefits of software. So we ourselves should shift into using software. So for example, rather than uh, uh, not changing your server, let's say your servers expire every three days. Even if an adversary was to compromise you, they have to recompromise you, they have to recognizance again, they'll have to know your IPs, know your names. I mean, we floss every day, we take a shower every day, do a digital floss, a digital shower. So these are some counterintuitive ways of how you can grapple, the, grapple with the problem and then get to the state. And, and I would say that, and I'm not demeaning any of the planning and the organization and the structure and the architecture and the workflows and the, and the building the clean process, but we also heard that, I think Vinesh, you said it, is that how do you manage when the, the threat is changing every single moment and every 45 seconds you've got to do something different? The only way you can really manage that is through reaction. So it's sort of like the concept of the pucks moving, how am I gonna get there? And so what I would say is you have to build both sides of this pyramid. It's not just build the architecture and build the workflows. It's build the architecture, build the workflows, and then build the IR response process so that you have the, the so you can respond quickly and deal with it. Because you're gonna deal with it. Because you're gonna, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's sort of the, I, I think it's, it's different than what I'm so used to in my old days in networking and data storage, you know. You, you sort of like configure it and you make it work and then it works. But cybersecurity, you do that and then three days later somebody figured out how to hack it and now you need to fix it, but nothing really broke. Yeah. So it's just, it's a tricky dilemma we're in for sure. Learn how to react. All right, I think we're going to officially get the hook here, so I'm going to ask you guys to give a round of applause to our amazing panelists for their time and great brains, and we will jump to the next session. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time 
When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.